evening and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Article 2, Section 4 of the United States Constitution states that President, the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Thus, the only way to remove a sitting president from office is to impeach them. Removal by impeachment involves a two-step process. So the first step is for a simple majority of the United States House of Representatives to vote on an article or articles of impeachment, which are formal charges. After the House issues the articles of impeachment, the second step is for the U.S. Senate to conduct a trial. A president will only be removed if two-thirds of the senators vote to convict. There have been in this country only 21 impeachments. Most have been against federal judges, but three were against presidents. Andrew Johnson was impeached in 1968, Bill Clinton in 1998, Donald Trump in 2019, and Donald Trump again in 2021. Now with the prior impeachments of Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump in 2019, none of the presidents were convicted. Trump is the only president and only government official to have been impeached twice. The first impeachment was December 18th, 2019, on the charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The second impeachment of Donald Trump occurred about 13 months later on January 13th, 2021, and was a charge of incitement of insurrection. This latest article of impeachment states that Trump repeatedly issued false statements asserting that the presidential election resulted. This latest article of impeachment states that Trump repeatedly issued false statements asserting that the presidential election results from the product of widespread fraud and should not be accepted by the American people or certified by the state or federal officials. The articles go on to say that on January 2nd, 2021, Trump urged the Secretary of State of Georgia to find enough votes to overturn the Georgia presidential election and threatened the secretary if he failed to do so. These most recent, or this most recent article also states that on January 6th, Trump addressed a crowd in Washington, D.C. and reiterated the false claims that the election was rigged and encouraged and foreseeably resulted in lawless action at the Capitol, which resulted in the death and injury of law enforcement officers and much damage to property. On this evening's show, we're going to again talk about impeachment. 
Joining us in this discussion are frequent guests. We have Don Corbett, who is a constitutional law professor at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and Jarvis Hall, who is a professor of political science at North Carolina Central University. Thank you both again for joining us for this uh, discussion. So let's, uh, before we start to talk about the specifics of this most recent impeachment article, um, Jarvis, can you go ahead and set the stage for us and, and provide us with a context of impeachment in, in this country? What, what should we think about, particularly from a political science perspective, when we are considering impeachment? Well, from a, uh, a political science perspective, of course, uh, impeachment uh, is one of the uh, um, checks and balances that we have in our government. It is a way for the uh, Congress to uh, uh, provide some sort of guard rail uh, so that the president's behavior would not get uh, uh, too far afield. And especially if it involves uh, criminal behavior, treason, um, high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, what, what you don't want is for impeachment to become a, a tool that could be used by the Congress where there are policy disputes. Uh, what you want to be sure is that impeachment is being used as a way to uh, sanction the president for behavior that, uh, uh, as I said, is outside of the bounds of uh, his, and perhaps in the future, hers, um, uh, uh, office. And um, so what we are seeing is that uh, it is always a political context. Uh, it is certainly a political context uh, with the impeachment of, uh, of, of uh, Andrew uh, Johnson in, in 1868, uh, the dispute uh, between himself and the radical Republicans in the Congress. Uh, when Bill Clinton was um, um, impeached, there was a political context. He did things wrong, uh, but there was a political context to that. Uh, uh, there and certainly so we have a political context here. And so uh, people on both sides are trying to manipulate that uh, uh, in a way that would serve whatever their political interests are. And Don, you teach constitutional law and of course you go through the constitution and one of the provisions that I know you talk to your students about are the impeachment clauses. And can you share with our listeners uh, how you frame the impeachment discussion with your students and, and what do you emphasize when you're talking about impeachment? Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. I, you know, the one thing that I try to get them to understand is that, and I think this, this, this is something that Dr. Hall alluded to, is that impeachment is both a political process and a legal process. Uh, a lot of times students uh, anticipate that the impeachment proceedings are going to proceed just like a criminal trial, and they really don't operate like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you have to say it's a legal process because uh, it's grounded in procedure that's spelled out by the Constitution, right? And uh, so that gives it a legal foundation. But then as Dr. Hall suggested, it's the politics of that are very, very, very different according to who's uh, on trial, so to speak, and, and what the, quite frankly, personal interests of the senators are with regard to who the individual is on trial. So just, just getting them to understand that piece of the equation first, 
Then the next thing is to also try to get them to think about what exactly is impeachable, right? The language says that public officials can be impeached for bribery and treason and high crimes and, and misdemeanors. Uh, because the plain language of the text, it's easy to connect that high crimes and misdemeanors means that the president had to have done something criminal in order to trigger the process. But that's not necessarily true. Uh, as was stated, it's, it's really designed to be the ultimate check on presidential power. So what we're really concerned about is whether the power of the presidency has been abused and not so much whether the law has been broken. So if I'm, if I'm the president, and let's say I decide that I'm that I'm a, I got a girlfriend, I'm gonna take my girlfriend, just go AWOL for like six or eight months. And I'm like, don't call me, don't email me, anything like that. Well, there's, there's nothing criminal about that, but it does mean I'm not doing my job. It means I'm not serving as the head of the executive branch. So therefore, I think that my disappearance would, be, would still be impeachable. So it's really tied to an abuse of trust more so than it is an actual criminal act. So I think getting them to understand some of those basics will help them uh, process the big picture of what's going on. But, but it's challenging, like I said, because some of the, the norms that, that you and I see and that Dr. Hall and Dr. Professor Joyner see constitutionally or legally are not what people are used to when they, when they hear some of these terms. So getting them out of the framework where they understand how these terms work is really the biggest challenge. And then, you know, we kind of take it from there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if, 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 if this is a political process, uh, in large part, and I know that the uh, underlying basis of it must be some misconduct on the part of the, uh, the person who is in office. Uh, why, why haven't there been more impeachment proceedings uh, over the years than we've had? Uh, we've only been able to identify three involving uh, presidents, but uh, just about every president has engaged in some misconduct on one scale or another while they were were in office. Well, I think part of the reason is because the the bar is so high in terms of conviction. Uh, You have to get two thirds of all the members present in the current Senate, that would be 67 votes. And of course, it's split 50-50. And uh, it's hard to get that super majority uh, in order to uh, convict a, uh, uh, a person who has been um, uh, impeached by the House of Representatives. And so I think that's a part of the reason. So yeah, and I, and I would only add that you know, I think there's also a consistent ongoing debate over, you know, what quote unquote crimes are impeachable, right? Because Bill Clinton allegedly lied under oath. Well, perjury is against the law, but do we want to impeach for that, right? Uh, Trump, did he incite insurrection or not? You know, did he try to strong arm the president of the Ukraine or not? Well, in, in all those cases, there's not much disagreement about exactly what occurred. But what we're not clear about is what we should do about what occurred. And again, because politics drives a lot of the process, what we should do about what occurred really depends on which team you play for. And, and that will help dictate kind of even whether it uh, gets to the question of whether there should be an impeachment in the first place sometimes. And I think that goes back to the point about it being, you know, both a legal process, but also political and something that uh, Dr. Hall mentioned, which is if there's not a chance of 
ultimate conviction from the Senate, uh, then maybe the House will think twice about actually impeaching. Should that be a consideration on the part of the House of Representatives, whether to go through the process of impeaching uh, a president knowing that the Senate will probably not convict? And, and I think with um, certainly uh, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, that was predictable, but the House went ahead and impeached them anyway. Dr. Hall, why from a, a, I guess, a government functioning standpoint might the House want to impeach even if there's not a chance of conviction from the Senate? Well, because some of the misconduct, um, um, and just as Irv said, there's all kinds of misconduct going on all the time uh, by I would say most presidents, uh, but because the misconduct may be so egregious, then something has to be done. Uh, and, and if you have this tool of impeachment, what good is it if you can't use it in certain circumstances where uh, the president or whatever high official uh, is being impeached has uh, gone just too just too far out. So as I said, it's, it's, it's sort of used as a guardrail. And, and as a guardrail, that means it provides a range of activity, you know, and some leeway and some space for the, uh, um, uh, uh, the official to work within, you know, and, and some things are marginal. And, uh, but if you get too far on that guardrail and start scraping up against it, and, uh, for something like lying, clearly where somebody lied, clearly where there was an abuse of power, uh, as with the first impeachment of um, of Donald uh, Trump, and the second one, I mean, insurrection, uh, incitement, uh, and the people who are who would be the jurors in this particular trial are also the witnesses uh, because they saw what happened. Uh, uh, because of his actions. And so uh, you have to make a statement sometimes. You, 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 uh, the, the act, whatever it may be, uh, uh, has to be something, it, 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 it's something that just rubs up against, it offends the sense of democracy, uh, uh, the sense of how we do things in this country, that the House has to say something even though they know politically that it's doubtful uh, that a conviction will occur. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, uh, process. We, we, we think of um, punitive actions against uh, people who are in positions of power, growing from, uh, uh, I guess, impartial verdicts. Uh, where there is um, uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, does that standard apply when we are dealing with uh, the, the issue of impeachment? No. <laughs> and, and it's where it's, it's, you know, what, one of the other things that's unique about, uh, again, about this particular process is that the Senate makes all the rules. And, and that's really, really different from what we're used to in our typical trial processes with, with civil cases, 
uh, the defendant is liable if it's shown by a preponderance of the evidence that he or she committed the act. And for people who are numbers people, that's like, is there a 51% likelihood that this person did whatever they were accused of doing? On the criminal front, obviously, you need guilt beyond a reasonable doubt before you can have a conviction. Uh, so those, those are the terminologies that we're used to using here. But in the, the Constitution gives the Senate the exclusive authority to run these, uh, these impeachment trials in the manner they see fit. So they kind of create the rules as they go along. And those rules uh, do not necessarily comport with what we're used to. So, for instance, with, you know, we know that hearsay is generally not admissible. Well, that's not necessarily the case in a Senate trial when it comes to uh, impeachment proceedings. So, again, it's one of those things where you're trying to hold people accountable, but the system in which you're doing it looks really different to uh, many people and, and, and causes uh, sometimes confusion about what's going on or what should happen as a result of what's happened. All right. This is the uh, Legal Legal Review. And uh, we're talking about uh, impeachment uh, this, uh, this evening. Uh, people are concerned about what is going on in our government right now. And uh, we brought to you two experts uh, in this uh, area, a constitutional scholar uh, and law professor, uh, Don Corbett at uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law. And of course, our uh, resident uh, political expert, uh, Dr. Jarvis Hall, who is uh, in the uh, political science department at uh, North Carolina Central uh, University. And uh, we're going to uh, return after we take our break and continue this conversation uh, with them. So stay with us and we'll be right back. I'm Nastasia Harris, a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Virtual Justice Spotlight. The House of Representatives voted for the impeachment of President Donald Trump on Wednesday, making him the first president in U.S. history to have been impeached twice. The impeachment comes after Trump incited riots inside the U.S. Capitol. On January 6, a violent mob of pro-Trump supporters, some carrying dangerous weapons, breached the U.S. Capitol during the confirmation of President-elect Joe Biden's victory in the November election. Numerous people were injured and five people died from the savage uprising, including a Capitol police officer. The concept of impeachment originated in England and is a fundamental component of the constitutional system of checks and balances. Through the impeachment process, Congress formally charges an official of the federal government and then holds a trial on those charges. Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution states that the President of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The meaning of high crimes and misdemeanors is not specified in the Constitution. However, a president can be impeached for abusing the powers of the office or for acting in a manner considered incompatible with the office. Only three presidents in U.S. history have been impeached by the House, including President Trump in 2019, but they were all acquitted by the Senate in the subsequent trials. There are no limits on the number of times someone may be impeached. If a president is found guilty, he or she will be immediately removed from office. Although the Constitution grants the president the power to forgive or excuse offenses against the United States, formerly known as a pardon, the president is prohibited from using that power for him or herself in cases of impeachment. 
Virtual Justice at NCCU School of Law is the intersection of technology and the legal clinical program. I'm Nastasha Harris. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for uh, staying with us. Uh, we are uh, discussing a uh, hot topic uh, here uh, this evening, and that is uh, impeachment. We are in the middle of this uh, impeachment uh, process and now scheduled for February the uh, 8th, is uh, February the 9th is the uh, beginning of the Senate trial where the House of Representatives have um, uh, impeached or charged the sitting or the former president with uh, an abuse of his uh, office. And uh, people are scurrying around trying to figure out just what the outcome of this is going to be. Uh, we started out with 1868 with uh, Andrew Johnson uh, being the uh, focus of the uh, impeachment effort. And then we ended with uh, uh, Bill Clinton in 1998. So we had uh, all, more than 100 years uh, between the first impeachment and the second uh, impeachment. Uh, along the way, you had the... Um, uh, Richard Nixon uh, incident, an episode, and uh, uh, abuse of, of authority. Why, why wasn't uh, Richard Nixon the subject of uh, an impeachment proceeding? And this is just for the uh, information of our audience uh, to for kind of bring into focus just how a person ends up or avoids uh, the uh, impeachment uh uh, proceeding. Well, I'll, I'll chime in and Don can fill in the uh, holes that I will inevitably uh, leave. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, so Richard Nixon, of course, was being investigated uh, uh, for the events surrounding the Watergate break in and the cover up surrounding uh, uh, following that. Uh, and uh, his role in that uh, was viewed as obstruction of justice. And so um, what's uh, informative about uh, the Nixon episode, as you put it, is that it's it was sort of showing the entire impeachment process. And what I mean by that was hearings start uh, uh, had commenced in the uh, in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and articles of impeachment were introduced, and I think maybe one or two were actually voted on. Uh, and then, of course, they would go to the full floor of the House of Representatives. And uh, if they passed by a simple majority in the House of Representatives, then it would go to the Senate. And um, again, the politics comes in because here you had a situation where things had begun to fall uh, to really fall apart for Richard Nixon uh, in terms of the, re the release of the tapes and and all this information that showed 
that he was uh, complicit in the effort to uh, cover up and to obstruct justice. And so the writing was on the wall, as they say. And so, uh, and uh, and there was a Watergate hearing going on in the Senate also. So, so all of this was taking place. So the writing was on the wall. Uh, Nixon had to go and uh, led by Barry, uh, Barry Goldwater, the uh, um, esteemed uh, senator from Arizona, uh, one of the leaders of the Republican Party at that time, they went they went to Nixon and said, the gig is up, you know, and you're going to have to go. And and so he resigned. And uh, given that removal from office is the major punishment or sanction that uh, you get with impeachment, then he had been removed from office. Uh, so that's why he, he sort of avoided impeachment. Most people think that uh, he would have been the one uh, that would have been convicted because of the overwhelming evidence against him with regard to um, obstruction of justice. Yeah, I, I think you know, Dr. Hall didn't leave any holes to fill there. I think that's exactly what happened. And the, the only thing that I would add is that Nixon at the time was, was badly compromised once those tapes came out. And, and it did take a contingency led by uh, Goldwater to go tell him, you know, dude, it's, it's time to go home. And he had enough respect for the institutions of government to step away. And then shortly after he stepped away, Gerald Ford pardoned him. Uh, so that kind of eliminated that particular process. So one of, a couple of my students asked me why that did not happen with Trump. And I think part of the reason for that is that Trump does not have any respect for any of the institutions of government. And the other thing to remember is that he still, despite uh, all of the, the bellicosity and craziness, he still got 74 million votes. And he is the most powerful man in the Republican Party. So there was really nobody that had the standing to go over there and say to him, you know, dude, it's time to go. Uh, not without some kind of, of repercussions coming from him. But it's, it seems to me that the evidence against him dealing with his uh, criminal conduct certainly rising to the level of uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, that that evidence is as compelling or more so than uh, it was against uh, Richard uh, Nixon. Uh, yet there is... Uh, seemingly a reluctance by the uh, members of the Senate who are broadcasting how they intend to vote uh, to call him to justice for the conduct in which he has been uh, involved and uh, seemingly they want to save him. Why, how, what's, what's the, how do you defend the democracy when the leaders of the democracy doesn't want it defended? I think you see an overlap again between the, the political piece of the equation and the legal piece of the equation. Uh, what the Republicans I think desperately wanna do is to call doubt upon the process and never actually have to get to the merits of his behavior. And their argument is that, that the entire process itself is unconstitutional. And the rationale they're using 
is that the language of the Constitution says that, you know, there is the impeachment of, of public officials. It's possible when they commit these high crimes or misdemeanors. But uh, the Constitution and the framers of it were very deliberate in that it would only apply to public officials, not to private citizens. So now that Trump is, uh, his term has ended and President Biden is now in the office, the argument is that, well, since he is now a quote unquote private citizen, that therefore the impeachment proceedings against him are not constitutional. So I, you, you've already seen some of that in uh, an earlier meeting this week. Uh, so I think that that's where they want to go. Uh, and that way they never have to really address the conduct. And when I say conduct, it's, it's not just what happened on January the 6th, but the conduct in the months to the, to the run-up to January the 6th, uh, where, where he clearly, at least in my mind, incited people to act. And as they are storming the Capitol, they are saying, we're here on his behalf. You know, they interviewed several people that said that. So there, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that that's exactly what happened. But again, given his status in the party, uh, given the fact that he appears to be super, super petty, and he remembers all flights, that uh, he, will, he will remember any vote that comes against him uh, in any way, shape, or form. And, and he will uh, try to execute vengeance on those people who, who render such. So, so I think, you know, it's the question about democracy is a good one. But then, you know, and that kind of takes us to a larger conversation. I don't want to get too deep in the woods, but, you know, do we even, have we ever really had that? You know what I mean? Like, like you hear a lot about free and fair elections. And really, in my mind, the first free and fair election we had was 1968, because that was the first time that people voted after the passage of the Voting Rights Act in large numbers. So the, so the Republic actually looked like the, the body of people in the country. Well, that was only 50 years ago. And I think what we've seen more recently is that maybe people are quite comfortable with authoritarianism as, as a part of it, if it means that we get to keep power over what goes on in the country. I feel like I'm rambling on the stop, but I think that's that's <laughs> kind of where kind of where I think we, we have been in our head. No, you're absolutely right. The the political environment is so warped, I would say. Uh part of it is because of the e extreme uh polarization that uh we are experiencing now, and, and it's not the first time uh, America has been polarized and uh, an extreme partisanship. Uh, but I think um, because the Republican Party is trying to figure out what next in the uh, post-Trump world, will Trump continue to hold sway over the party? Will he uh, will he be able to? Uh, uh, to make kings and queens within the party, uh, especially during the primary uh, process. They're trying to figure out uh, where the party is going. And because of that, they, they are sort of uh, hesitant, uh, or I can use the word scared, uh, to uh, uh, do Trump wrong. Uh, just as Don said, he's petty. Uh, he, uh, he doesn't forget. Uh, he takes names. Uh, uh, he, he has an enemies list uh, uh, of some sort, and uh, and those in the Senate know that, uh, and they they don't know what the next phase will be for the Republican Party. Will it continue to be the party of Trump? Will it divide and morph into something else? Uh, will will a Patriot Party split from the Republican Party? 
Um, so uh, uh, what we're and and because of that, they're almost stymied in in terms of doing the right thing, because where is the Barry Goldwater? Uh, where are the people that should have gone up to the White House? Probably around. 2020 <laughs> and and suggested that uh the, perhaps this presidency isn't going the way we thought it was going to go um uh, and um but um donald trump himself has to figure out what's next for him too because he may have some legal issues that you know uh, uh that he has to take care of you know but but it's uh it's just sad really to see the uh um uh, lack of courage uh on the part of many within the Republican, uh, within the Republican Party, I have to say, uh, in terms of standing up to this president, especially when it appears that right and wrong is so clear, and it's because of of the, uh, the seventy plus million votes that he got, and uh, uh, and the fact that they think he's a kingmaker. But if you think about it, his record in terms of primaries is not that great. <laughs> in terms of uh, who he supports and their winning. You know, um, Jarvis, you mentioned what's next for Trump. He's got to think about what's next for him. And of course, the concern on the part of many in both parties, actually, is that he will run for office again. And so one of the potential consequences of being convicted um, under the articles of impeachment is that the person convicted can be disqualified from holding any office in the future. And so impeachment, of course, will get you the removal. But if the Senate also votes to disqualify the individual, then they don't have to worry about someone running again. So it seems as though the Republicans are, uh, you know, they've got to decide what's in their best interest. And, and there are a lot of Republicans that would love to see Trump not being able to run for uh, president um, in the, you know, next presidential election or run for senator or, or run for any type of, of office. Can, can you both kind of talk about, uh, well, actually, Don, let, let's have you talk first about that separate consequence and how that plays into the constitutional structure. And then Jarvis, if you could add kind of the political science perspective of the uh, ramifications of someone not being able to hold office again after being impeached. Sure. So, so as was mentioned earlier, the primary tool of, of punishment for impeachment is removal from office. But because of the timing of all this, uh, Trump's term has ended. So there isn't any removal possibility there. However, uh, as, as you just stated, uh, if he is convicted, then there would then more than likely be another vote of the Senate to see if he uh, could be then disqualified from holding public office ever again. So Congress has the ability to do that through its constitutional power under, under this particular article. And I, I, I thought that maybe for a few minutes, Professor Dawson, that, that the Republicans, because of what happened on January the 6th, might say, you know, nah, this, this dude is too toxic for us and we just need to make a clean break and here's a great opportunity for us to do that. So I was genuinely surprised to see that later that night, 
you still had Republicans stand up to contest the election, even after some of these people had just stormed the galleys looking for them. And then subsequently, you hear uh, some scuttlebutt in the Senate about maybe McConnell's ready to cut ties with Trump. And, and there's a bunch of GOP senators that are like, well, let's go ahead and cut him out now. And then you had this motion uh, on the floor of the Senate the other day that was spearheaded by Rand Paul uh, that spoke to whether or not the particular, that he basically called the question whether or not they should proceed because they felt like this was an unconstitutional uh, impeachment. And 45 of the 50 Republican senators voted that this was an unconstitutional uh, impeachment. So that really told you all you need to know about where they think uh, the party is going. I think it speaks to what Dr. Hall spoke to, which is they're hedging their bets. They're not really sure. They are sure that he's petty. They are sure that he'll come for them if it doesn't work out for him, but they don't know what that looks like. So rather than, than bear the brunt of what they know could happen, I think they've just decided that we're gonna button down. You'll get a few people probably to vote for conviction, but it probably won't be enough to, uh, to actually convict him and if there's no conviction, of course, then there's no potential for disqualification from future office down the line. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the disqualification is the thing uh, that is the prize with regard to this for uh, those who are in favor of impeachment and removal for all, from office. And, and of course, we're talking about the Democratic Party. And so um, uh, it it will create a situation where uh, one, I think there's a legal question that I would like to throw back to you all. If 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 after this trial, he said he he makes the argument that it was unconstitutional. Does that be is that a political question, a, a non-justiciable question, or is it one that the courts will decide? That's one question I have for you all. Um, <laughs> So I'm getting myself out of this. You notice that, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, um, I know we got to go. So, I, so I just leave it at that. And there, there are some other political ramifications, though, uh, that we can talk about. All right, you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU ninety point seven FM, and we've been having a riveting conversation about impeachment yet again. We have with us here in our Zoom studio Professor Don Corbett, who is a constitutional law professor at NCCU School of Law, and Dr. Jarvis Hall, who is a political science professor at NCCU. We are going to take a quick break, but we will be right back. We hope you stay with us. Good evening. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And I would like to personally thank you for supporting and listening to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking show that is made possible by the Virtual Justice Project of the North Carolina Central University School of Law, as well as listeners like yourself. For more information regarding the show, or past episodes, or the latest happenings surrounding our host, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Legal Eagle Review. Again, my name is Reginald Wist II, and thank you for listening.
Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review, where we are continuing our conversation about uh, impeachment. And in uh, this uh, situation, we're looking at the second impeachment of uh, of a president, the first time that that has occurred in United States uh, history and the significance of that. Uh, you, you talked earlier about Richard Nixon and the fact that um, the dis, dishonor associated with being impeached was such that he decided to, uh, to resign, that uh, he did not want to uh, sell in his name uh, with uh, being uh, impeached by the uh, the uh, House of Representatives and then thrown out of office by the uh, by the Senate. Um, with these impeachments, and Donald Trump was impeached in uh, 2019, and following that impeachment, uh, 74 million people voted for him to go back uh, into office as the president. Does that suggest that across our country today, the notion of impeachment is not a sign of dishonor, that it's not the scarlet letter that attaches to the person who has been uh, targeted uh, for this, what I would call death sentence politically. Uh, so have our country and its inhabitants change so much now that impeachment is just a passing flight offense. Well, it's, the, it's, it's still a rare occurrence. And well, well I, not for Donald Trump, it, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a rare occurrence, but uh, it, is, it is still a fairly rare occurrence. And so it uh, doesn't happen much, I think, uh, those in the House of Representatives, many of them, I won't even say most of them, take it seriously uh, and are not frivolous when they make a decision as to whether even to start talking about uh, uh, impeachment. Um, I think because we have uh, uh, clearly determined uh, and made the case that impeachment is both a political and a legal process uh, that when somebody is acquitted, uh, they're not thrown out of office. And we have to remember that acquittal, that doesn't mean that the majority of, uh, of the Senate voted that this person was not guilty. It just means uh, the uh, those who voted for guilt didn't meet the, the uh, two thirds threshold. And, and but, um, because of the politics that's always swirling around these kinds of things, uh, that if a person is acquitted, and that has been the case for all of the impeachments at the presidential level, uh, anyway, that uh, have taken place, that this is one that those in the party of the person who was impeached, they can sort of chalk up to them as opposed to the opposing party. Uh, and what I mean by that, that is Trump, after he was acquitted, uh, 
he came out and and made the argument that he had been making for his entire uh, administration uh, that the Democrats was were on a witch hunt uh, with the Russia thing and and everything else, you know. And this was just a another episode in uh, in that overall effort to get rid of him. And um, and many of his supporters saw it that way. Uh, many of his supporters see that this is just another example of Trump beating the establishment, beating the state, the administrative state, if you will, because uh, everybody's against him. I mean, just think about what would have had to have happened if the fraud that he talks about would have happened. I mean, massive conspiracy. Uh, but but he was he he has been able to convince. Uh, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people that that was the case. And and so any impeachment is going to be viewed that way Wh when he is acquitted this time, because he will be acquitted this time. Uh, again, this will be a, a almost a badge of honor. We beat him again. I think my initial instincts would, would echo what was just said in the sense that for at least the here and the now, that's exactly what the thought process is going to be because it's not just about the acquittal thing that that dr hall mentioned but i think it's also because now you have all these different mouthpieces and different uh, media sources where they can trumpet exactly the position that that is advantageous to trump uh, a lot of people will see these processes as illegitimate in the first place and, and therefore, at least at, in that particular context, one would think that it wouldn't have any real bearing or stain that Professor Joyner mentioned. But, but, but I think we'll have to see about that. I think history will dictate that. I, don't think, I think every president is worried about legacy. And I think every president wants to leave a mark in terms of what it is that they did and what it is that they accomplished so they can be on the Mount Rushmore president, so to speak. And I think the historical marker of being impeached twice even if it doesn't mean anything to, to, in, to, to certain entities right now, I think that carries with it um, a, a stain over time. And, and that I think uh, will be harmful in the larger picture of, of, of all of this going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a related question to that in terms of the impact, you know, he, he's a single term uh, double impeached president, right? So without that first impeachment, it's not inconceivable that he could have been elected for a second term. Like we, we don't know exactly how things would have um, shaken out in the end, but it, it certainly didn't help his reelection campaign. And um, when we think about Bill Clinton, who was impeached, it was during his second term. And it's not inconceivable that if he had been impeached during his first term, that it would have had an impact on him being reelected. So, I think that um, Jarvis is, you noted, they're they're gonna it's gonna be spun in a particular way current day. But as Don noted, when we look at it, uh, history and one of the things that I talk to my students about is, um, you know, we were just talking about uh, Martin Luther King, and at the time of his assassination his disapproval rating was much higher than his approval rating, but you wouldn't know it today as we reflect back on, on what he did and, and how people are viewing him. And I, I think uh, something similar may very well happen with, um, with Trump. Um, so this, 
trial is going to be historic for a number of reasons. One, it's the second time a president has been impeached. Uh, the same president has been impeached. The trial will take place after the president is no longer in office. Uh, the Supreme Court Chief Justice, so the Chief Justice of the United States will not be presiding and the Chief Justice presides when the president is being impeached or the president is being tried. And of course, Trump is no longer president. So um, John Roberts is not presiding over that. The person who would preside would be the vice president, but Kamala Harris, our vice president is not presiding. Um, so what do we, any thoughts that you all have about the historic nature of, of just the trial, kind of politics aside, how will this trial dictate and what precedent is being set in the event that we've got a, another situation where someone is impeached and no longer in that position, uh, but a trial proceeds? I, I think that, oh, I, I hate to be so cynical about it, but I have to be at least somewhat truthful. <laughs> I think there's like no chance that he's going to be uh, convicted of this. I really don't. I, they To get to the two-thirds number, they need to find 17 Republican senators to vote along with all 50 Democrats. And um, I'm a little shaken whether all 50 Democrats are going to do it. I'm assuming they'll end up in that space, but I don't know for sure. I just can't, I can't see 17 people coming from the GOP to that side of the fence. But what it essentially means, though, in terms of precedent for, you know, we only have a handful of these things as has been mentioned. So what it means is we will have absolutely positively no idea of what it will take to impeach a president going forward or to convict a president going forward, because this will mean that we didn't think that the potential insurrection, the potential uh, fostering of a riot where people storm the Capitol was enough to convict him. And we earlier last year didn't think that negotiating and trying to strong arm a foreign country into a political investigation involving one of your opponents was enough to be impeachable. So the question becomes, if those things were not impeachable, then what exactly is impeachable? And I think that's one of the things that makes this uh, precedent rough, because I think you're, you're, when you take that tool off the table, then you really do take a couple steps forward toward authoritarianism and a monarchy, no matter who's in office, because now there's no mechanism by which to uh, execute that balance of power that, that Professor Hall spoke to earlier. So it's, it's, that to me is the most dangerous potential precedent, is what it means for presidential conduct going forward. Because whatever they do, that, I, I think this is a fairly high, poor degree of conduct. And you can have real bad conduct as a president going forward, but it won't approach this. So the president that's coming after him can say, hey, man, I know I did X, but look at what he did and he got off. So this means that you got to let me on, too. And I think that's for me, that's the most harmful thing that I see coming out of this. Here's the hypothetical. OK, so here's how he could be actually convicted. Uh, and this is strictly hypothetical, uh, is that a, a, as a part of the evidence, uh, uh, they find a list. Uh, of the people who will be targeted. And there are about, let's say, 18 Republicans on that list. And, uh, and somehow they are able to make the direct connection to Donald Trump, uh, that somehow uh, 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 he had endorsed this list of people who would be targeted during the January 6th insurrection. 
Okay. Then it becomes personal because again, these folk are, are witnesses as well as jurors, you know, and if they find out that Trump was actually going for them in particular, there's your conviction right there. But is that going to happen? Of course not. But but we can all dream, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, look, you know, I, I, I'm concerned about uh, Bojack and uh, Josephine out in the community now that uh, that are viewing these actions. And why should they have any faith uh, in the rule of law if uh, the conduct of uh, Donald Trump because of his political position and his financial uh, wealth uh, puts him in a position that his conduct is above the law and that he can't be uh, held uh, in a punitive way for that uh, conduct. When we all know that had you done this, had I done this, we would be in prison this very minute even without a trial. So why should the least of these have any faith in this concept of rule of law? And just to add to that question, and we also know that if Obama had done it, he would have been impeached. So just wanted to tack that on to Ur's question for y'all. He, he I, would I have been that, impeached and removed. Go ahead, Don. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was in, in response to Professor Joyner's question. I think all of, all, all of this is going to lead to kind of the same road for a lot of people, which is basically that we have multiple systems of justice in this country. And depending on who you know and how much money you have and how much access to power you have, you can find yourself uh, out of trouble in ways that uh, most of us could not. And that goes not just for, for Trump, but also, you know, and again, I won't get too deep in the weeds, but if you look at the list of people that he pardoned before he left office, uh, many of those people were convicted dead to rights and uh, because of who they knew and because of uh, his desire to help uh, people that he perceived to be friends and allies, he wiped a lot of those slaves clean. So I don't think it'll do anything other than cement the belief for many people in our community that the justice system uh, does not work the same way for everybody, and perhaps will never work the same way for everybody. And and that may be the uh, the ultimate victim here is the um, um, is the faith that we want people to have in the political system. Uh, we we always want uh, as a part of our civic engagement and our involvement in government. We always want questions to be asked and uh, to wonder if fairness is actually being served uh, in our political system, in our criminal justice system. And even though we have said an impeachment is not the same as a regular trial, that's the way people are going to view it. You know, and they're going to see stuff happening. That didn't happen when I went on trial last week uh, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So, so it, it will show that there is a two, maybe three tiered justice system in this country and that uh, it does depend on who you know and who you don't know and, and who you are. Um, but um, at the same time, 
that that's why it was important for the House to go on record to say that Donald Trump, what you did was wrong, that you may get out of this because of the high bar in uh, that we have to get to in order to convict you. But we are looking at you and we saw that we saw what you did and we know what you did and what it led to. And we're on record, historical record, that what you did was wrong and it will always be there. And just as you said, the stain of impeachment in, in the long term, in the short term, uh, I think the political consequences may vary. But in the long term, you're right. In the long term, that stain nobody wants because nobody wants that stain on their legacy because from here on out, he will be known as the twice impeached president of the United States. Single term, twice Single impeached. Term. Right, right, that's right. right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He squeezed it into one term. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and uh, for all and, of his perceived presidential power, uh, he, when he walked into office, he had they had control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate. He walked out of office with none of those things, and I think that is also a very salient historical marker as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to end it on that note because we are unfortunately out of time. But we'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Jarvis Hall, professor of political science at North Carolina Central University, and Don Corbett, constitutional law professor at NCCU School of Law. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.